have the great pleasure of inviting Jean Lorenz, Assistant Professor of Trumpet at the University of Wisconsin-Madison today on our podcast. Thank you for joining us, Jean. And oh, how don't you give the audience that maybe not know you or know you but don't know you well enough a little background of how you started and how you are today. Sure. Um, I was always a little bit of an odd nut in the music world. I started on violin and then um, transitioned to trumpet um, and then joined choir in high school. And so I was always attracted to the soprano sounds, but um, I really loved vocal jazz, but was a pretty straight arrow in terms of classical trumpet playing. Um, so I auditioned for undergrads in both vocal jazz and trumpet, classical trumpet. But I, um, so I was an avid singer and very excited about the world of musical theater, about the world of acapella and pop music, and also R&B and jazz. Um, and I really interested in continuing both of those two things. And so I, f I went, ended up going to Northwestern that allowed me to do both music ed in the choral focus and then trumpet performance. Um, and so I sort of stumbled around. I, I knew pretty quickly I was quite different from my other trumpet colleagues um, because I think what attracts me to music is maybe different, like my entry point into music and why I consume it feels um, different. It felt different than my colleagues. And, and so I had to grapple with that. And I, I'm not so interested in, um, certain elements that my friends were really geeky about. And so, um, I kind of had to, I actually hid a part of myself. I pushed like the things I was actually interested in away and kept certain things about myself quiet. Like for example, musical theater and acapella, because uh, it was it got a bad rep for being cheesy or like you know uh not good elitist music and and so i kind of boxed myself in and got in a rut and it it took being like caging myself for a while to really decide you know what screw this i'm out <laughs> i'm out of the cage not out of music and so um at this time i was actually i left college i was a public school teacher i taught general elementary music, um, fell in love with it, but, you know, missed playing trumpet a lot and loved teaching. So then I went, I got my master's at Yale where I was like, okay, I should be focusing again and I should be doing trumpet, but I always had these like multiple parallel paths going. And I ended up making my living as a singer in New Haven, um, in church choirs and in a really wonderful choir uh, called Scola Cantorum. And so I was again bringing together music and trumpet and being the weirdo and like doing new projects and started a music and cocktails series with my friend Jens. I um, started pairing things with music and I, I felt more invited at Yale to actually break free. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and so that was basically the beginning of me realizing that I was uh, stifling myself as a, as a youth and inviting myself and allowing myself to open up and truly um, express the music that I wanted to express, even if others turned their nose up at it. And it turns out when you dare to be authentic and when you dare to be different, you risk people being snooty or making fun of it. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, people don't, people are just like, wow, that person did a thing. And people yeah. are um, tend to be really impressed by that. 
Um, and so I started to feel more and more comfortable opening up. And then I went to Carnegie Hall for the fellowship program there, did more teaching. Teaching artistry was a new field that I became aware of, which I'm happy to talk more about later. I thought it was fascinating. You're expected to be an active performer and a teacher. And so there's more flexibility for you. Um, and I kind of just like bumbled my way through New York, experimented a lot, tried a new thing. Um, uh, joined an all-female identifying brass quintet and sort of learned what good that can do. Moved to Boston, did more teaching artistry, and then I got a very sudden surprise gig opportunity at University of Wisconsin-Madison where somebody had left really quickly and I knew somebody there. So um, I guess I just kind of wound up there and it turns out they really support this eclectic um, style of pulling things together, being different, pushing forward, being innovative and experimenting with new things. And it's okay if those new things flop, it's totally sure. fine. Um, and so that's that's how I wound up where I am now. I love that, I really do. Because <laughs> I mean, going through, I would say the formative musical education, where no, you got to follow this path to be here. If you want to be there, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. This is the only way it'll work. And now we're starting to really have those conversations of, no, I can go over here and do this for a couple years and then I can come right back and do whatever I wanted to do. So just seeing you do that is like amazing, first of all, but also you combining two things um, that most people think are completely mutually exclusive, uh, both playing like a wind instrument and also, you know, using uh, your voice, being a vocalist. I remember going through uh, college and saying, you know, I actually see myself as teaching bands and, you know, I, but I really enjoy singing and getting the looks like what is that? Like, how? what? You're supposed to be, you know, a vocalist. You're supposed to be a vocalist. And I'm like, well, I like both. You know, I, I want to do both. Um, so finally, I just, I, I had to have that kind of revelation that you had of like, look, I'm going to live authentically me and whatever comes, it happens. And so after that, I'm just like you. I'm, I am living my best life now. So <laughs> you you are definitely an inspiration. So it's, it's just a good seat. Just a good thing to see. Yeah. And people want, people like clean, clear boxes. So they want to compartmentalize and understand like, oh, this person is this. But I feel like we all spend so much of our time in our youth trying to blend and morph and become the same. And then for the rest of our lives, we're trying to become different. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and what does that say about our education system? I think there's an opportunity there to um, develop authenticity earlier. Yeah. I think as a, as a group, as a collective, um, with me, Michael and Anthony, we have been very always supportive of each other whenever we're thinking about new innovative projects and things like, this hasn't been done before, but we should. Like Anthony wanted to do a conducting recital, but in undergrad and people, you know, we're just kind of like, okay, let's figure it out. You know, <laughs> like, well, let's figure it out. Like even the things that haven't been done, like why not? Um, and it's crazy that the concept of being innovative and being fresh is still a new concept for a lot of like music programs, but it, it is, it's just the truth behind it. And it's so refreshing to see professors who are pushing, who are not only pushing, but they're your advocates and your champions of that, of innovation and being super fresh within, and not even just music, but in multi-disciplines, which is the one 
things that um, intrigued me the most about you and your work is the idea of interdisciplinary art, which has become something that I have found a huge passion for and love for. So how like did you really get into the idea of like interdisciplinary art? Like how did that happen? Um, so the first, um, well, I started doing recitals. I'd started in small ways. So in my recitals, I would put a vocal piece on and people would be like, whoa, I'm like, it's not that revolutionary, you know, like or revolutionary, you know, like I sang the second movement of the Haydn trumpet concerto and yes. people were like, what? And, and, and just to, I will answer the question, but just to kind of touch a point, um, singing should not be a separate category than any instrument. It is our most natural instrument that we're all born with. And it should be it's for all instruments, but especially brass. It's the same mechanism. You're supporting the same way. And instead of vibrating here in your throat, you're vibrating on your chops. But basically, you're making vowels. You are um, you're working with air pressure and you're working with resonance and you're using your res your natural resonating space to create your natural sound. And I do um, classes and sessions on this um, uh, singing through your instrument and like connecting it to the voice. So I started doing that in my recitals and I would, you know, I would ask a tap dancer to come and tap along with me or a dance. I set the Peasley Night songs to dance as well. Um, and I would bring my trumpet onto also onto the theater stage and, you know, try to incorporate it there. And then I was, uh, I started the music and cocktail series where I really like learned how to pair things. Um, and we basically picked a bunch of chamber music pieces and then um, a mixologist prepared a specially made cocktail for that piece. Um, and then I also learned how to put an event on. And then um, I was asked to be a part of this sort of uh, avant-garde dance troupe experiment in Switzerland called Diva Mania and it had two professional dancers and six professional musicians who each went through pretty intense six weeks of dance training and we we basically built an hour-long show called Diva Mania about um, an Andy Warhol quote and it was this really cool staged piece where I'm moving, I'm acting, I'm dancing and I'm holding my trumpet and I'm playing and I was like this is what I need to do this is this is my life um, and so I started to try to build my own and, um, I basically just go out into the world and, and find the things that really deeply attract me in, in the sphere of art or even outside of, you know, what one might traditionally call an art, um, and think about how that could pair well with music. Um, and, and the reason why I'm so interested in this is first, I'm just naturally drawn to it. And second, um, I really think, uh, my philosophy is that the way we can change the music scene and the culture is, um, by repackaging the beauty that we already have. Yes. Make new music. Yes. Push new stuff out there. But what if we just reframed and repackage, um, some beautiful pieces that have either written long ago or written and, and deliver it in new ways that allow different entry points and also a wider audience base. And so that's kind of how I got into this uh, trope of multidisciplinary um, entities. But I've also always been a multidisciplinary artist myself. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Um, that, again, that goes back to the thing of just seeing you do so much like, first of all, 
six weeks of training dance, like intense training. Uh, so question, did you have fun? Was it just like, I felt like I would be in pain every single day. I don't even know what the word fun be the right word, but like, how was that? It was great. It was so fun. Um, it was contemporary dance. So we were learning how to move our body in, um, like brush strokes and work with angles and work with space. And it's like, you're learning dynamics from a totally new, like a yeah. dynamic movement. Um, and we did a lot of learning how to fall. Like that was a big part of the pedagogy is learning how to fall, which I thought was um, not only a really good skill to have, because I tend to um, lose my balance from time to time, <laughs> but also learning how to fall is like very poetically beautiful. I think in the art, you're like part of it is learning how to fall and, um, and then move through space. And it was just so, so much fun. Did you uh, take any like uh, music techniques from learning the dance, like, you know, that you can incorporate uh, when teaching the trumpet or any, or honestly teaching voice from dancing? Yes, definitely. Um, I reinforced some techniques. Like, I'm sure a lot of people um, have heard if you're a wind player or you, 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 you make your sound with your breath, um, like raising, lifting the spine up towards the ceiling and like expanding your, like the, the, the depth of your skeletal system in order to create the best space for your lungs and support system. I really learned what good posture was. And I really learned um, how to use space with my body um, and the importance of um, your body language, especially in your posture as you're presenting. Um, and I learned how to be extreme, like, you you're so vulnerable when you're doing an art form that you're not sure of and I feel like a lot of students start in this box because they just want to play the notes but like I we were asked as dancers to come way out of the box and just like um use the all, the entirety of the stage and um, make big mistakes and so I think all of those concepts um bled themselves into what I do as a trumpet player wow um and then I know just because when I took voice lessons, that was one thing that my voice teacher always talked about is really just getting out of that comfort zone and, and really just using everything in your space to produce that sound. Um, and I will never forget, uh, Michael had came back from a lesson with you. Um, and he told me about the uh, thing where Imagine you have a string at the like point of your head and you pull it to engage that pingy sound. And I was like, that sounds like my professor teaching me to sing in the max to get that very, you know, bright sound to get there for it to just have that ping. And when he said that, I was like, I, and he did not tell me anything about you being a vocalist. I was like, that's a vocal technique. But I was like, that's a vocalist. I was like, is she a vocalist? I think she's a vocalist. She has to be. She has to be. So um, when you were going through high school um, and you joined choir then, what made you join? Like, what did you, was it just a random day? It was like, hey, let me just try it. Um, we had a really great program at our school and I wanted to be in classes with my friends. I knew I had a lot of friends who were singers. Um, I did not know how much I would fall in love with it. I just fell in love with like, I just love um, 
it's like a focused scream. I love a belting, you know, the, the belt sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just like, there's a, there's this like s- s- beautiful um, symbiotic uh, connection between breath and pressure and support. And then it sounds like a focused scream and it's a really beautiful exhale. And I just fell so deeply in love with, with belting, with like the musical theater belt and, and the R&B belt and the riff and the, and I just was so in love with it and, and would go home and like wail my heart out in my, in front of my mirror. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, yeah, I, I took a lot out of that and then put it into the trumpet and yeah, singing through the mask, like finding your space and the, the beautiful thing about taking voice lessons, if you are a wind player in, or anybody in, in you want to get better at your instrument, take voice lessons because um, what's great about the pedagogy is with our flutes or our trumpets, it's an external instrument. It's an external device. So we tend to focus on like your fingers and your wrists and like the external part of the mechanism. But with voice, the whole mechanism is hidden inside. So it's way more abstract and it's just, been proven through like sociology studies that or um, um, psychology studies that when people think more abstractly or more spaciously even in golf that you tend to have better results if you're focusing on like the arc of the ball and the in the final destination and we tend to do that more with singers whereas trumpet players tend to like focus really in and and then we get stuck in our own cage of our body in our space I will I will retweet that retweet like share all that other stuff one thing i wanted to bring up that i love about you is uh you you have a tiktok and you love and you like like sing and play the trumpet in a microphone and play with all these different things so how did you go about like why did you make it because i love that and then also like how are you i love how you're using it to like also educate and also have fun and experiment on the side yeah, I, I'm not super regular with TikTok, but I do think it's it's so fun. It, it To me, it feels like a more uh, authentic expression of people than Instagram, which is very portrait focused. Um, but I um, started to dabble in electronics and I'm still in my beginning stages in my exploration of it because um, we have this really great electroacoustic studio here at UW-Madison with so many great possibilities of, of noise making. And so um, we started to explore it in the Wisconsin Brass Pentet just a little bit. Um, and then I would just kind of take what I learned there and bring it into my own private practice and find these gorgeous um extra sounds it's like a, it's like you get to play with a whole new sound palette mm-hmm. um and i mostly use the eventide h9 which is it just it uh, offers a whole bunch of filters that you can put your voice or your trumpet sound or whatever through and create this gorgeous stuff and my hope is to find someday the time and space to write my own music using that i would love that me too. One of the, since we're talking about our favorite things about you, it seems like <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that immediately, like, I went, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, this interview is going to be really fun, is I went to your website, your homepage, and the your first, just your first photo that I was just immediately like, <laughs> yeah. like, you're, you're just, it was so funny because for me, it looks like I had just walked backstage to like a show you had just finished, right? And like the idea of like, I just, it, like it just looked like you had just kicked off your shoes 
and just pop like um plop your feet up and you're just like ah oh, and you're just like so genuinely like happy like that was such a genuine photo like and it's um usually when going to look at artists like home pages and websites it's so usually what are, what are we expecting like a really solid portrait right and something that they like find to be one of the best representations of who they are um and while i i see the the value in that as well i just loved how genuine it seemed like i immediately knew you like i immediately like it felt like like i said i was like a, one of your good friends walking backstage after performance going congratulations you know um so like what is there a concept behind it or what was the the process behind you choosing that to be like boom you're on my website this is who i am Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, you know, I think it's really important to ask somebody else to choose your photo because that was selected by a friend of mine. And I had originally had like a, like an actual portrait that was taken, you know, a headshot. And she was like, this is you. And, and I think we should be, um, when we're writing our bios, when we're taking, getting our photos together, we're getting our press kits together that we're going to share with the world. We should be asking the people who are close to us, can you give me a few words that come to mind when you think of me? And, um, I have these photos, you know, which one do you think represents me, who I am? Um, and I am just not a serious person. I sometimes try too hard to be, but um, my humor and like the things that you know I find delightful tend to be ridiculously silly and and just off the cuff kind of um, uh, not sophisticated. <laughs> and and I think um, I think that photo was just like. my friend took it he's an architect and he was he had a camera and he was playing around he's like i love he's like i took a great photo of you i love it and i looked at it of course oh i, I you know i i'm not wearing shoes and i have like eight chins because my head is back in a in a laugh and i was like oh that's like cute i thought it was cute but then um, a few people were like you need this is your photo and there's the striking red couch and i was like you know i would have never chosen it for myself so i'm so glad that i Um, had the help and had the outside energy um, catchers who were able to, to share with me. And yeah, I, th I do think capturing authenticity, it, even in, in the choices in your photos, is so, so important, especially in the world of um, classical music. Mm. Um, and on that, uh, because, I mean, Going back to kind of in the box, uh, whenever we think professor, we think, oh, they, they're they a professor and then they go home and then they just read books all night. Like they just, you know, <laughs> that's it. Like, that's it. But um, no, I mean, you are constantly doing way other things that a normal, what people would say a professor I'm like, no, we're still humans. We're, we're still people. And I love that you put the person first. You're like, I am who I am that just so happens to be a professor, that just so happens to be a trumpet player, that just so happens to be a vocalist, so on and so on. But I am me first. And I love, and I just love that. And anybody who lives their life to be who, the, who they are, no matter what, will always, always, always be just phenomenal people. Always. That I I totally agree with you, and I um I I want to just say point blank that I um sometimes try to fit the professor box, 
And then I, you know, I digress and I, I work through that. And I think it's so important to, in the practice of removing this huge hierarchical gap that we have in our systems and in our structures and universities are, you know, have issues with this. There's this major hierarchical system and, and, and while I don't think that like there should be some sort of boundaries between student and teacher, but I think this massive gap where, and that's why I don't have my students call me professor. I just, I feel like I want to soften that boundary because um, not only for them, but also for me, like I, how am I going to be my most authentic self if I'm trying to fit into this like high shelf level of the standard expectation of a professor? And every time I try to be that way, I I hit some weird wall and then I, I feel like I have to kind of do my own authenticity work at home and with my reading and in my podcast listening and with Brene Brown holding my hand. <laughs> um, I had that fight in very uh lot less words that were made a lot more sense like mine did not make sense at all you just actually like yeah i'm tripling on myself but like when i was like teaching like at different places in georgia as a brass person they're like okay um we're gonna call you mr brown and i was like can we please not because first of all my grandfather don't even go by that nor does my father can we just call me michael because I feel like when you call me Mr. Brown, I have to present at all times. Like I am presenting my knowledge or I'm, I have to like, I can never make a mistake or I'm not like there. And I was just like, how about we just you know, like I'm literally like only three years older than you, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, yeah. Let's just like, let's like get better together instead of like me presenting all my knowledge and you like sucking my knowledge out of me. Like, let's just like work together in this space. Also, I want to add... If you follow, if someone follows you on Instagram, um, I feel boring compared to your Instagram stories a lot of the time. And it is quite hilarious. I'm like sitting in my couch and I'm like, wow, um, I'm watching How to Get Away with Murder and she's off doing something that's really cool. Let me just not right now. Let me just go back to my dog and How to Get Away with Murder and I'll talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. All right, no, go ahead. No, I was I was gonna go, go in a completely different direction. Um, something I wanted to talk about that really interests me because I think it, it's Seraph, right? It's mm -hmm. Seraph Ross, yeah. Um, the idea, first of all, I'm a woman, so it's great to see other other uh, women like doing just music, but also for brass. I'm not a brass player; I'm a flute player, but I love brass ensemble music, and I think it's just way more interesting. Yeah. I'll, okay. Sure. I'll agree. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, but it's so cool seeing, like, just a group of amazing women come together and present this just amazing work. So, like, what was the process, or what was this, the thought and ideas behind the start of Seraph Brass, and what are the initiatives and programs that you guys are creating and doing um, out in the field now? Yeah, I love to talk about Seraph because it's. Um... It is so powerful and empowering to play with these amazing other uh, players, and it's not something I—it's not something I had when I was ten years old and listening to my first albums. Um, and uh, Seraph started, so I joined in 2017, and it was started a few years before that by Mary Bowden, who is really the pioneer for for like the direction of Seraph, and we all contribute, but she's really like. The person who who goes for it. Um, so we've we've had a lot of 
changes. We started by mostly performing a lot, and then with we had some education initiatives. Um, and then over the pandemic, we created this whole virtual, uh, these virtual offerings that spanned so many different um, spectrums of the professional world. Some very, very, you know, practical, what you would get in your college experience, and some more deep dives into, you know, here's exactly what we do to create a press kit or to start a career in music um, and how to create a, a unique career in music and build your own path. Um, so we did that. That's obviously slowed down because we're performing more, but we're finding our way and we're just, um, just always adding to things. Um, and we also um, do a lot of uh, commissioning of works from, you know, uh, underrepresented composers and you know I don't want to I don't want to like say too soon too early but we have some exciting things coming up um, and always trying to trying to celebrate women and my personal opinion is or I guess hope is that you know when someone who identifies as a female brass artist or composer um, when we've met our critical mass I think it's somewhere between 30 and 40 percent then may, maybe we can open our doors up to anybody and, and I think about this a lot because by being an exclusively female identifying group, are we exclusive? And I think my, my um, rebuttal is that no, we are offering representation and celebration of an underrepresented demographic. But when we stop and cease to be underrepresented, then we can um, open our doors. And so... Um, yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing group, always doing something, always pushing forward and just like really leveraging what what the, the changes that the world is um, offering. I love what she just said. Until we get to the critical mass where we're no longer under, where we get the title of being underrepresented, that's when other things, you know, other people can be in and everything. Because I think, uh, some people like to argue when it, whenever it's, it's an all-female group or it's an all-Black group, uh, they would automatically, the first rebuttal, well, aren't you being exclusive? Like, aren't you? Well, we are the underrepresented and it is giving representation because there isn't a lot of us in these fields, both being a, a woman in music or being black in music. We're, when you think of a classical music, you would think Mozart, Beethoven, Bach. You have those three people right there that look nothing like me, look absolutely nothing like me. So that's why these things are very important. And so uh, hopefully in the next coming years or as we develop through our um, music journey, we will have more representation where now everybody is all enjoying their great time in music. So, but just y'all doing y'all step is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I love what you said. I feel like four times. I get, I think I get more chills talking about empowering youth to feel expressive and good and welcome um, than I do in listening to music sometimes. Um, but I just want to add there's an amazing woman, uh, Janet Stovall. Do you know her? Janet Stovall. She talks about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she talks about how diversity is about numbers, but inclusion is about cultivating something. Mm -hmm. And I think I just, 
I, I, I think it's super important to think about what are we cultivating? Because we can get people by prioritizing our systems and by putting our money in the right places. But how are we cultivating, cultivating people being welcome and feeling welcome and uh, empowering people to, to be their best um, in, a, in a very diverse environment? And I, I, you know, that's been the big ball that's been churning in my head lately. And, and you know, I'm still pondering it. I, I actually, if you have ideas, I'll hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you we can like for some people to grab grapple on to that, you can also like you can just recruit the best like trumpet players for a trumpet studio out of the country, or you can develop the best culture and they will come. Yeah. And like they would want to be a part of that. Like you're not gonna like go search out like, oh, I want the best seven trumpet players. Okay, great. What if they don't get along? Right. What if, you're, what if there's no culture? What if they're everybody's just in their own practice room? They're like, we want a sense of community and family. That's like the same thing. It's like, we can just throw money and throw initiatives at the wall. It's like spaghetti. Let me make sure it's done. Throw it on the wall. Okay, it's stuck. <laughs> or we can develop this like, hey, what kind of environment are we creating? Like, do people feel like they can come and talk to me or talk to us? Like, I was looking back, and we've had this conversation with so many people. I was looking back on the programming I did when I was coaching brass quintets. I look back at it now, like right now, like after the whole pandemic, I'm like, if I did that today, I hope someone would slap me or my students would be like, I don't want to play this because why am I playing Die Bang a Sangha Leader for the fifth time? Like, you know what? You're right. I'm dumb. You're not. Here's another piece that I've never heard of, never worked on. Let's work on it together. It's like, I want to go cultivate where my students can be like, I have no connection with Ewald Brass Quintet number one. Like, it's great music. But can we play something that I have a connection with and that, that our group and mm -hmm. like you and all six of us, like even though you're a coach, you're not like in it, that we can all have a connection and create something. I'm like, yes, we can. Thank you for telling me. And that's like the kind of environment I want to create. Yeah. And you just got me all excited because, um, <laughs> because I uh, have this idea. I don't know when I'll be able to bring it to fruition, but um, with like Ewald, what really excites me is new music, but taking Ewald, like what if instead of having chamber music class, we had chamber arts and, and what if we had like maybe a brass quintet or maybe a violinist and a, a, a trombonist and a percussionist and then a digital media artist and then a ceramic artist and then a dancer and maybe a spoken word artist. And like, what if we just threw them all together and we said, make something, you know? And, and, and I want you to use a little bit of Ewald. And then you tell the actor, I want you to bring in a little bit of Shakespeare. And you like teach, you teach some of the um, standard stuff just in a small way, just to be like, this is a part of our history, but now I want you to move forward. Because I, I struggle with um, what it, to progress and preserve and what is the balance between those two things i i am not a believer in just scrapping everything um but i am a believer in you know um teaching the old with the new and finding the connections that are meaningful in whatever way you find meaningful um and bringing storytelling into the situation and and so i think um i think chamber music can look a whole lot different if we expand outside of just the word music or we we like 
had somebody who works in the EDM, you, you know, category and like, what if I would listen to like EDM Ewald. <laughs> like when you said that project, I'm just like over here, like, okay, let me take Ewald three and Shakespeare. I'm like, Ooh, but how are we going to do that? And you just like, that would be, if I was in that class, I would just look at you like for the first three weeks. And then after I'd be like, okay. I think I have a handle. Let me go like try to do something. That's interesting. I like that. It's about being like being way out of your comfort zone. But um... that's where we learn the most. Hashtag letting everybody know. Yeah. I know it's so comfortable and I fell into it in undergrad and I still fall into it. We love comfortability. We love like a set routine. We love like just be like, okay, I'm going to dip my toe in this and then yeah. let me pull it back out. Yeah. Just jump in. Just like go for it. Like we don't have to train as an orchestral trumpet player all of undergrad. Or we don't have to train as a certain type of musician all of undergrad. Right. Well, let's just train as a holistic musician or a holistic person who does music. Yeah. Yeah. And open the doors. You know, like let people in. And and also just, just to give a shout out to Ashley Killam. I don't know if you guys know who that is. She um she has a whole she's but she has a whole database. She's been collecting, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of music for brass chamber music and trumpet music. That is uh all all the music has been co composed by underrepresented composers. Mm. Um and just like, you know, I mentioned Ewald and Shakespeare, but I also want to be very adamant about going to Ashley Killam's website yes. and and making sure you push way uh, push harder towards the new than you do about preserving the old. But I also don't want to totally neglect preserving the old either. I, I so, so there's so many things that have just been <laughs> in the past like ten minutes that I've been like, oh 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 my gosh, oh yes. And the biggest thing I think, and this is kind of goes into your the the teaching artistry that you were mentioning earlier, but also just in general, the concept of teaching in general is such a collaborative experience, I think. And I think whenever I, I've been talking to a lot of friends recently and a lot of them have what either we're on the ed track or we're thinking about education because when you go want to do your DMA, you're going to teach, right? Like that's that's the the idea behind it. And a lot of them have been like, I don't think I want to do that because I they they have been seeing professors who have been presented in front of them who have been more following that traditional track, that traditional idea of what a professor is, and they're like, that's not what I can offer to a student, or they don't want to offer that to a student. And so I can't imagine like if every professor in every university was so like unique in their own ways and were, were teaching in, in the ways that you are in terms of interdisciplinary and being so open and genuine and not non-traditional like what would education really look like what could it look like and that's it's such a beautiful concept to me and it it's, it excites me as someone who i have my own studio of, of um of students and i want to be a, a professor at some point because i want to be able to like bring so much amazing change and like influence to like different sets of students that come through you know the door every year but like that that's just a, such an exciting con the idea of like what teaching artistry in general like i i think people think about teaching as more of a um uh, i don't know about a concept but like an act instead of like an art form in itself because teaching definitely can be art um and i think what you're doing absolutely i can tell that the way you are teaching your students and the things that you're doing is all based in art and genuineness and uh 
yeah, I don't even know where it's just my head spinning with everything that's <laughs> happening. Um, but that it's such a beautiful concept to think about. And it the idea because what goes more into it is this idea of collaboration. Collaboration brings in the new and the old and what like every single aspect of what people are talking about together. Um, so this idea of like, no, let's not throw out the old things. Let's actually bring it into the new and add more to it. Um, yeah, that's just, that's awesome. So thank you. I just wanted to like reflect on everything that has just been, been talked about, but that's, it's such a beautiful thing. And I, I think that's, it's so, such an inspiration for me for what I want to, I could see myself doing later on. And I know there are a lot of students who are out here currently, who, especially after the pandemic, they're searching for something like that. They're searching for something that I think gives them new, fresh perspectives and shows them possibilities of like what can be um, in the future. For sure. And, and it, I have a, a two comments. Um, one is, more of a compliment to you three. <laughs> as soon as I signed on in the Zoom, you know, wheel thing, what invited me in, I was like, within seconds, I was like, this is gonna be fun. You know, <laughs> you know like you can tell right away the energy and the authenticity is great. And so um, I can tell that you're you're all you came together from this like-minded energy and and um, joy that is felt immediately. And I think that's gonna make. Uh, that's what makes a beautiful teacher is like students feel so much immediately when you talk to them. Um, and in all of us are going to be teachers at some point, regardless of, of what our jobs are. Um, and also I want to touch on the art of teaching and the art of communication. It is to me the most baffling and beautiful art that exists because I see teaching kind of like the most beautiful merging of the traditional jazz and classical genres because you have to come in with a lesson plan, an idea, a scope, and a structure that is very, very well scaffolded and thought out, but you have to respond and you have to give an impulse to your students and give information and see what where the questions are make time for questions um, respond react and move and improvise based on the human in your space and and i think to me like i've always wanted to be a better improviser on trumpet and i promise myself one day i'm going to dive deep into that um, but we practice it when we're conversing all the time and then also, how beautifully can you collect your thoughts and deliver them to people who are asking you questions? That is hard. And it's a it's a really tough thing to master or to even get close to being good at it. And and this is gonna something for um, you know interviews or for talks that you're going to give or for being in front of a classroom, you know, um, distilling information in an eloquent, beautiful way that is poetic and inviting. It is just, it blows my mind when I hear a good speaker or a good teacher. And I think it's, it's, um, it's something that I strive to be more like on the trumpet, like that kind of beautiful merging of, of, of these, of, um, spontaneous impulse mixed with, this is the Haydn trumpet concerto that I have prepared. <laughs> so. I would say the biggest lesson I've learned since teaching is the power of two things. First thing, improv. Because 
when you are teaching in a public education setting, things are gonna get thrown at you and you have literally 10 seconds to react and have a plan and go with it. Like mm -hmm. that's just how teaching is. And I, I think um, that has probably been one of the biggest lessons. And I and so far I would say I've been doing okay. I've been doing good. I've, it's definitely been getting easier and easier and easier. Um, so, and that's just improv communication that leads into improv of other things as well. Um, but the other thing that I've really learned um, is being authentically you that we've talked about earlier. And what I mean by authentically you, meaning authentically you with your students. When you communicate uh, with your students and you let them know who you are and you want to get to know who they are, the, the bond between you becomes so strong. Um, yesterday, we had our um, last marching competition um, and the kids, they received superior ratings. And like that, for, for me, that was actually the first time I saw them cry, they cried. And, and they were, we just got in a very big hug. It was like a whole bunch of us. And it was because we let all of our guards down. We let all of our walls. We just came together to make the best music that we can make. And yes, uh, you can have your own opinions on the, the rating did something, yes. But it was something that we worked our behinds off. And it is something that we tried to achieve together. And we achieved it. And, and just seeing all of that happen, it was just amazing. So to anybody out there, that is thinking about teaching, it is rewarding. It can be challenging, but it's definitely rewarding. <laughs> so that is that is all. I'm yeah. And that's, that's the stuff that life's made of, right? Like those yeah. moments of pure human connection and joy. And um, I, I just don't like that. Sometimes in the back of my head, I have these voices of people who like scoff at marching band. Like, mm -hmm. I, and if you experience that in your environment, push it away. Like to anybody who's young, when you see judginess, just walk away. Don't even respond. I, I think we, if we could nip this part of um, a, a somewhat ugly part of what is, I think, a traditional classical music culture. Um, and, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope maybe you're like, I don't see that. If you don't see that, that's great. I, I saw it in my youth. And, and like, just cut it out. Let people express their version of joy with other people and, and, and have any judgments keep them in because I just don't, don't like it. <laughs> Find your joy. Find your joy in music. Yes, I fully agree. I had someone ask me the other day, what are four memories from your undergrad that you will always hold on to? And one of them was a pep talk the speech you give right before your kids go on like for marching band. And I just remember like, like feeling all this emotion and they're feeling all this emotion. We're in this huddle, just the brass players. Cause you know, that's the best huddle ever. And I'm just like, y'all, I want you to go out there. And I want you to show them who you are. I want to show them all the work that you did. And I just, that was like one of the shining moments. And they walked off the state of the field and they're like, we did that. I'm like, y'all yeah. did that. I'm over here. Y'all did that. Like, that's period. I want someone to say something because y'all did it. And I, we can fight in these streets. Like, come on. Like, say, <laughs> and just like the kids owning something. 
Right. And that's why, and like teaching is organized chaos. I had the luxury oh, of just yeah. going in and teaching brass. So like, I would just walk in on a Tuesday morning. I'm like, kids, we're going to talk about sound. And like, Ooh, sound. I'm like, yes, sound. And it's just like, they buy into it. Cause they're like, Oh, we're not going to do measures one through six. I'm like, no, we're going to talk about like, how do we sound? Like, what do we want to sound like? And I know I get the luxury of doing that. Cause I'm not doing the whole band, but just imagine if we're just like throwing these concepts at these kids. Yeah. It's just like organized chaos. Like we walk in one day, we're like, you know, we need to hit this, but let's hit it this way. And it's not like we're not going to open up the book and be like, let's do all of our major and minor scales right. and go through all that. Like, let's just like, like give the kids some initiative, like make them latch on to something. I just love that about teaching. Lauren, For I think sure. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think I may be the oddball out here because I've never, I never did marching band uh, whenever I was in high school. And the reasoning behind, and I always bring this up because it, it is significant to my, to my lineage, but I went to a fine arts magnet school that because we didn't have the traditional like sports that you would typically use marching band for football, um, we didn't have, we didn't have it. Um, so I was always in a concert setting from when I began playing the flute until now and um, it was fun. It was funny because I got to KSU and I had the option to to do marching band, but I was scared because mm -hmm. I didn't understand it. I was like, it, they they do too many things at one time, and it scares me. And um, these two were both uh, in in marching band, and you know, it was it was there was a little bit of that the culture at the school that was kind of like, oh, the marching band. Oh gosh, like you know, and there was that a little bit of of superiority and. Um, I will even say, like, I don't think I understood what was so great about about marching band. I didn't understand the significance behind it. And it wasn't until I started teaching it. And Michael can can uh, attest to this. I was terrified to teach marching band. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I, I these kids are going to be like, oh, she hasn't, she's, she doesn't know anything. Like, I'm like, I know how to make you sound better. But, you know, the other things that go into it. And so finally, one year I was like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Let's just kind of see what happens. And I made sure they knew like, Hey, I don't have a strong, any marching band experience. Um, but like I can really help in, in terms of other things. And, um, this, it was this past summer actually that I really started to see that it's more than just that. It is really the culture. It's the bond you build with the students because there was a situation Michael was teaching at the same camp where it was a, a situation that happened with the seniors where, oh, they want to do a prank and it did not turn out well. Um, it was something that did was not, it, it exploded. It was just this whole thing. And for me, whenever I, I, I teach, I have um, as much I care for these kids. I expect them to care as much about being there as I do, right? And um, it was something that it a lot of us were hurt because it, it was that feeling of like do you even want to be here like you know what what is this and i had a conversation where i sat all my seniors down and i was i will have to say i, I was talking at them a lot at first and then i just kind of felt their energy kind of shift into their chairs and some of them stopped they weren't looking at me anymore some of them were already, like already i could tell they were on a breaking point and I, after I finished, I like let them talk and they just exploded like in emotion and everything. And they were like, I never want to feel like I, we love marching band. And like, this is, so, and it was, it was this thing that I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like <laughs> I was like, I, I was, I have not been trained for this at all, but like we're in there for an hour, like just them cr like crying and talking and explaining themselves. And it, 
I think that was one of my biggest and most significant teaching moments ever was in that random classroom in Georgia <laughs> over the summer. Um, and that's that's what I think I'm the, the, the things that happen that make it so special is not even just being on the field or just playing on all those things, but it's, it's that, but it's also the culture you create with your students and the special bond that you have with them. So yeah, marching band is important. And I, I will say that I will now be someone who I always will say there is so much significance within that and it's, it's so special. Um, so if I was that at some point, I am no longer <laughs> that, so yes. Yeah, and it just really, it's like, what is your outcome goal? If your outcome goal is to like make beautiful sounds with a collective of people and have a collective experience, do marching band, absolutely. If you just absolutely fell in love with Haydn string quartets and you play viola, well, you're going to look weird in a marching band anyway. So, <laughs> but like, but then, you know, then follow your Haydn and follow your, your whatever is pulling you the most towards this one thing. Right. I'm just realizing more and more that most people are in music for the collective experience. And so I think maybe we could reflect that as much as possible in our teaching as well. Mm -hmm. So pulling you towards something, what was the whole concept about your short film? Ah. And, and, and I think the album that came out of it as well, or is the album different? Yes. No, so what is it like, what, what, what pulled you to release this into the world? Um, great segue, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, so uh, it's actually a lineage story. It's my great, great uncle has a fascinating story. He was this authentic, slightly troubled man who was a world famous writer at one point. And he, his name kind of dissipated into the folds of history, still very well known in some pockets, but um, he, he was a little bit of everything. He's most famous for his ghost story writers, or, uh, stories, his ghost story transcriptions, I should say, specifically in the Asian cultures. But um, he lived in the US, he lived all over Europe. He was born in Greece. He was at the time not considered a white man. Um, but it was weird because he had this hybrid identity because um, he moved north in Europe and, and was not considered a white man, moved to America, was considered a white man, but didn't, his identity had been built to be different. And um, he, this is in the 1800s, by the way. And so then he married a woman who was formerly a slave uh, in 1870, fired from all of his jobs. He was a newspaper journalist. That was not legal at the time. And he was like, ah. No, he was in this like weird pivoting identity um, space where he wasn't really uh, included anywhere. Um, and, and because that, because of part of this and part of uh, many other scenarios that happened, he, he had this unique perspective on the world and he became obsessed with um, the fear experience. And he started documenting um, spirituality and ghost stories and folk stories from underrepresented cultures all over the world. And, um, you know, he, he wrote about police brutality in the 1870s. I found an article that if you throw it in, in, in most newspaper articles today, you know, most of it, you wouldn't bat an eye. There's some language in there that's pretty dated, but, um, so, uh, he ultimately made his way to Japan and documented, uh, these ghost stories and folk stories that actually, 
you know, became Pokemon and became um, some of the Studio Ghibli films. Um, and uh, he just, he had this like deep attraction to scary spiritual stuff. And so the film that I wanted to make uh, was, first, it's actually a performance piece. It's a multimedia performance piece where we have projection art that is mapped to our experience, and we, it's theatrically staged. And all of the pieces are written for different stories that he wrote or different journal entries. Um, and then, and so uh, during the pandemic, we decided to make a film, and the film is like a 27-minute abstract ghost story where um, I'm sort of his ghost comes alive through me. I'm, it's a transition story. So I'm kind of like post life experience. Where am I going? What's happening? Um, and we incorporate, I'm really, I love Beyonce's lemonade and then childish Gambino's this is America. I was like obsessively watching those on loop. And so I, I wanted to steal from what I learned from those artists where like they just pepper these symbolic messages and symbolic, um, nods to different parts of history and storytelling in their thing. So if you know about Lovecutty O'Hearn, you'll notice like dozens of little symbols from his life and from his stories. If you don't know, you'll see this still very ethereal um, ghost story about what is the merging of um, our real physical bodies, our real physical selves, and this like supernatural spiritual part of us that, um, and, 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 you know, as we grow into adults, we separate those two. In, in childhood, we believe in make believe in fairy tales and, um, you, you know, like the, if you're, if, you know, like, I don't know, I, I could give examples, but you, you know what I mean, the tooth fairy. Um, and then as you, we go towards death, you know, a lot of times we incorporate spirituality in, in what happens after we die. But in this middle part of our life, we like the orbs get further from each other. And so it's about the coming together of our spiritual selves and our, um, real physical life experience. And, and like what that might look like. So it's abstract enough to allow you to have your own ponderings while you watch the film and the, the narrative is generated through music and there are some quotes woven in from Lafcadio O'Hearn. That is in a nutshell, the best way I can describe <laughs> it. I could talk for hours about this. If you go to my website, jeanlawrence.com slash descended, actually temporarily for a couple months, you can watch the film. Um, we're making it publicly available as we release the album. The album's also dropped. It dropped in September. You can check it out on any of the streaming websites. Um, and it's really fun and cool. You should check it out. <laughs> it's a really good album, by the way. I've watched that. I have not watched the short story. That's on the to-do list. But the album is amazing. Go stream it, please. Thank you. Uh, that's what I'll be doing. So, uh, <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, this has been amazing. Um, it is so natural and just just so genuine to talk with you it has just been amazing thank you so much for being here with us today thank you so much thank you for having me i really appreciate it you're awesome all of you thank you, <laughs> thank you. all right and for our audience members please 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 stay tuned um to next week's episode as it comes out and we'll also have um, all of Jean's links down below. So please go follow her, go to her website, go check out everything we talked about today. Uh, you know, you know you're going to have a great time. So thank you again for watching. Bye.